Welcome to the Horse.com's Ass Vet Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of the Horse.com. Tonight, we're going to be talking about equine MRI, and this event is brought to you by Hallmark Veterinary Imaging. We're joined by our experts, Dr. Rachel Buholtz, who is an associate with Northwest Performance Equine in Molino, Oregon, and Dr. Dan Brown, who is with Hallmark. Thank you for joining us, doctors. No problem. Thank you. Uh, let's start with you, Dr. Buholtz. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your practice in Oregon and your personal experience using MRI to diagnose lamenesses in horses? Yeah, of course. So the practice that I'm at, um, we focus kind of specifically on lameness and sport horse issues. So that's really kind of our bread and butter as far as what we deal with on a daily basis. And we get a lot of cases in for, you know, referral stuff as far as that goes and a lot of referral for kind of advanced diagnostic imaging MRI included in that. So with my experience, it's been nice, you know, not only for our clinic to have it for our clients as an option to diagnose the lameness, but also kind of for the region and everything to have people able to have an MRI close that they can refer cases into, get the answer, and then, you know, that client can take that horse back to their referring vet and kind of figure everything out from there. So it's been good for us. And Dr. Brown, you're with Hallmark, like I mentioned. Can you tell us how long you've been involved with MRI for Horses and how you got involved in the industry? Sure, yeah. I've been with Hallmark for a little over four years now. Um, And in that time, I've seen the popularity of MRI grow massively. It's become much, much more uh, accepted um, in, in the general horse population than it was even just four years ago. Prior to coming to Hallmark, I worked for a pharmaceutical company where I was in charge of the veterinary anesthetic product range. Um, I joined the pharmaceutical industry straight after being in, in veterinary practice, general practice in the UK, and I made the move to Hallmark because I wanted to focus more on that equine side of, of the business. Um, it's not very often that one gets the chance to be involved with a totally unique product such as Hallmark Standing MRI, as it is the only standing MRI that is available. Um, and I think working with a product, product that I genuinely think is incredible and one that I can see brings massive benefits to horses and owners and vets alike makes the job a lot of fun. Um, so this event is an hour long, and we're going to be answering a lot of questions that uh, our audience sent in when they registered prior to us starting. We're going to stay our best to st- or do our best to stay within our one hour time frame. Uh, if you are listening live, uh, feel free to submit questions as you listen. You can do that uh, via your console um, in your your web browser. So go ahead and send those questions in. We also have some additional uh, resources for MRI, and you can go to thehorse.com and search for MRI in the search bar. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, Let's start with you, Dr. Brown. MRI, to me as a horse owner, seems a bit like magic. Um, I have been involved with horses long enough that um, I remember when we didn't have uh, MRI. Um, But can you tell us a little bit about how it actually works? Yes, certainly. And uh, I agree with you to start with that um, it can seem a bit like magic and and some of the things it's helped us to, to understand and to diagnose, um, and it has been kind of a magical um, tool for us. Um, as, you, as you mentioned, MRI is a newer imaging technology. It's really come into its own um, in the last sort of five to ten years, really. And one of the reasons why it's such a, a useful 
diagnostic tool is that it gives us the image to, oh, sorry, the ability to image both bone and soft tissue. Whereas in the past, uh, most of the imaging modalities like X-ray and ultrasound have been have had strengths in either one or the other. Whereas MRI can can help image both types of tissue. Um, how it works in simple terms, it looks for water molecules in the different tissues and then creates uh, an image or a map of, of where the water is and how it's behaving. That's a very simple way of how it works. Um, and by looking for the water in different tissues, it tells us not only about the structure of the bones, the tendons, the ligaments, etc., but also about any pathology that may be going on there, such as bruises or inflammation. And that's important because these uh, pathologies really can't be seen by other other imaging methods. The way that the MRI works is very complex, but essentially what it does is it uses tiny pulses of radio waves to cause the molecules to vibrate and then listens to the echoes caused by those vibrations and uses them to create an image. And because MRI only uses radio waves, there's no dangerous radiation to be concerned about as there is in X-rays or CT, for example. And Rachel, as a practitioner who's using this technology just about every day in your practice, how is it different from other uh, diagnostic modalities for lameness? So as Dr. Brown mentioned, you know, the biggest thing is that we get to see bone pathologies at the same time as we see soft tissue pathologies. You know, we have horses that the radiographs will be normal, ultrasound will be normal, so we've looked at bone and soft tissue separately, but sometimes to be able to look at them together, we can just find different things. Another big thing with MRI for us in practice is that it allows us to get a look inside the foot. So it's pretty much the only modality that can look at the soft tissues deep inside the foot around the navicular bone. You know, there's a lot of a lot of tissues in there that can have injuries and will injure that it's just kind of impossible to find. So it works out nice that that's kind of an option for us to go ahead and diagnose those. And then we're able to look at things, you know, from different angles and try to put things together. You know, we might be able to see a tendon injury on ultrasound, but we don't know, is it new, is it old? You know, how how much can we kind of attribute that to causing the horse's lameness? And the MRI can allow us to kind of get a better idea of that, you know, is that the issue or is it perhaps an old lesion that the horse has been dealing with for a while? So it, it helps that way. And Dr. Brown, we have a question from Julia in uh, Frederick, Maryland, and she wants to know about the two different types of equine MRIs. She said that she knows that there's one that's done standing and one that is done while the horse is, uh, is under anesthesia. Can you explain the differences between those two and the pros and cons of each? Yeah, certainly. Essentially, um, Julia's done a very good job of that. Uh, defining the difference, which is that one is done standing and one's done uh, lying down. Um, standing MRI is performed under light sedation, whereas the down MRI requires full general anesthesia. And the obvious advantage of avoiding anesthesia is that you thereby also avoid any anesthetic risk. And anesthesia for horses is a more risky proposition than it is, for example, for dogs or cats or humans. Uh, and horses have died or sustain fractures or other injuries in recovery from anesthesia for an MRI. Uh, some, but not all of the down systems, have a stronger magnet called high-field uh, MRI uh, that have higher than the standing system, which can allow for greater detail to be seen. 
Um, additionally, some of the down MRI systems can image the head and neck, which is not possible for adult horses in hallmark standing system, although we have uh, had sites that have imaged the head and neck of foals. But regardless of which type of MRI you choose, standing or down, the numbers that I've seen suggest about 90% of the horses that go through an MRI system get a definitive diagnosis, which is really very good for any diagnostic procedure. And Dr. Brown, we have a question from Judith in uh, Michigan, and she said she would like to know if MRI equipment is available in most rural areas, or is it something that's only at vet schools and high-end practices that own such equipment? Uh, Being a newer technology, um, MRI is not available in in all parts of the country at the moment, but I, I can certainly say that it's becoming increasingly available across North America and indeed much of the world. Um, having said that, MRI is a big investment for a clinic. It's actually one of the biggest investments a clinic's ever likely to, um, to, to have to fund. So typically it is found in large referral hospitals and veterinary schools. At Hallmark, we have 25 standing MRI systems in North America, either in place or soon to be installed. And we currently cover 15 U.S. states and three Canadian provinces. And uh, if Judith wants to find out more or anybody wants to find out more about where Hallmark has systems, um, I would urge them to check our website, which is hallmark.net. Dr. Buchholz, uh, we have a question from Terry in Sacramento, California, and she wants to know a little bit more about the sedation that's required for MRI. Since you work primarily in the standing MRI, can you explain a little bit about the procedure that the horse goes in to, um, to be sedated uh, before the MRI is done? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So with the sedation that we use for a standing MRI, it's probably less than sedation that most horse owners are used to. I mean, it's it's less than they would get for kind of a routine dental procedure because we need the horse to be standing quite still. You know, we don't want them wobbling. We don't want them swaying. So as far as that goes, you know, they're on a pretty a light standing sedation. Um, often we go ahead and kind of pre-med them depending on the horse's attitude and everything, that drug can change just to kind of let them calm down, give them a couple minutes to settle in, and that just kind of takes some of the edge off and just helps them relax a little bit before we go into the MRI room. And then we use a little bit of a stronger sedation to get them into the magnet, make sure everything's comfortable, get them standing square, all of that, and then just kind of see how we think they're going to go. We use kind of top-ups, so we use small doses throughout. The other option, um, some clinics will use kind of an IV drip sedation type of setup. And then kind of as... As the MRI is going on, if the horse starts to show signs of waking up, you know, moving their ears or kind of, you know, whinnying sometimes they will, or just acting a little more awake, you know, we'll give them a little bit more here or there. But typically the sedation is really quite low. And then as far as everything goes, that process, it's usually right about an hour for the MRI. And then they come out and wake up from their standing sedation as they would anything else, kind of standing in a stall. And typically within about half an hour, they're quite awake and you would never know anything had happened. And Dr. Buholtz, you mentioned the MRI room. Can you tell us a little bit about what that room is like? And maybe Dr. Brown can jump in and explain a little bit about that room as well. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's definitely kind of a big enclosed room and it has, you know, the walls are metal to kind of decrease any, we don't want any signal coming in there that's going to interfere with the magnet or interfere with any of our, our equipment that way. And then the horse comes in and there's a platform for their head to go on that has a little pad so that everything's nice and comfortable. And then they kind of put their foot, the magnet, a little bit of a C-shape. There, the C is kind of facing them, and that the limb that we're MRIing goes into that C, and then there's a computer station kind of off to the side that we use. We can see the images as they're coming up and kind of use things to move around in that way. And Dr. Brown, did you have anything to add? Yeah, just to say that um, the, the MRI room actually is a very peaceful place. It's essentially quite quiet. Um, if anybody's had an MRI done in a human hospital, you'll probably remember that the, the, the high-field human MRI systems make quite a lot of noise when they're operating. The, the standing MRI system is much, much quieter than that. The horse is, as uh, Dr. Bluholt said, it's, it's peaceful and sedated, and uh, the, the whole room's air-conditioned. So it's actually a pretty peaceful place to be when the, when the study's going on. Um, and it's certainly not a, a small confined area it's bigger than bigger than most stalls that a horse will stay in so um yeah it's it's it has the, the lined walls to keep radio waves out and uh, most of our rooms have a non-slip rubber floor so that the horse is nice and steady even though it's got a little bit of sedation on board and dr brown tammy in blair wisconsin wants to know how high or low is the cost how, what what should we expect to pay for an mri uh, the exact cost really depends on where you go to have the MRI performed and on what exactly your vet needs to to have imaged. Um, a guideline for the total cost is is usually somewhere in the two to three thousand dollar range, um, and that price will include uh, everything you need to have done during the, the day of the MRI, pulling shoes, any. Uh, any x-rays that need to be taken to look for nail fragments that might have been left in the foot that could interfere with the MRI imaging, um, and the sedation, the collection and reading of up to four or 500 images um, that, that comprise a complete MRI study. And then these images are usually read and a report written by a boarded radiologist. Um, the clinic that will perform your horse's MRI will be able to give you a more tailored estimate based on the individual um, situation of, of your case. Um, I'm not sure if Dr. Buholtz wants to add anything to that as she's actually uh, in in one of our practices. Nope, that all, and that all sounded right about, you know, it, it varies depending on, you know, how much we have to do, whether we're just doing one limb or, you know, as a pre-purchase MRI or something like that, doing kind of multiple areas. And then for our sedation stuff, just depending on how well the horse behaves as far as going into the room and then standing still. Some horses can be a little less magnet love than others, so sometimes that cost can change a little bit, but Dan hit on most of the points there. So uh, you mentioned, um, Dr. Brown, that a radiologist can be involved in in. Uh, looking at the study and interpreting it. So, I, and you also mentioned though that the images are instantaneous that they're being uh, developed as the horse is standing there. So, how long as a horse owner do I need to wait before we have answers from, from the imaging? Um, again, it really depends on the individual situation. 
sometimes if there's a very obvious lesion that's immediately visible, um, such as a, 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 a digital flexor tendon split or something like that, um, the, the vet who's performing the MRI may be able to give the owner an indication immediately, yes, we've seen this, um, and this is likely to be the problem. Even then, uh, most frequently, the, all the images will be sent to a radiologist for a full um, reading just to ensure that there's nothing more subtle that could be confounding or, or complicating the um, diagnosis. And in that case, most of the time, the results will be back within sort of the 48-hour time frame, sometimes faster. And Dr. Buchholz, uh, what kind of injuries or chronic conditions are MRIs best at identifying in horses? So for the MRI, I mean, it's we use it a lot, again, for kind of injuries within the foot. It's, again, kind of our only look that way. So it's quite good at identifying deep digital flexor tendon injuries as far as, you know, the pastern. And then we can see how far that injury goes down. Does it go down to the navicular bone? Does it go down past the navicular bone? Does it go to where it inserts onto the coffin bone? And it gives us a good look at kind of the structures there, the navicular bursa, and then the impar ligament, which goes from the navicular bone to the coffin bone. So it's a nice look there as far as finding injuries that way. And a lot of those can be chronic, you know, as you know, with quarter horses and things that way, you know, different navicular issues can kind of be a chronic problem. And then um, the other thing that I really like the MRI for is kind of finding bone bruising or fluid within a bone, um, either coffin bone, the navicular bone is quite common, and the distal cannon as far as, you know, the fetlock joint involvement there, and then proximal suspensory ligament. If they've had a ligament injury, you know, sometimes that's all it is and it's just a ligament, but other times, you know, the horses aren't doing as well, there's a question, and then once we have the MRI, we find out that the bone actually where that ligament inserts is also involved, and that can kind of, you know, change our treatment a little bit. So it's nice to have that information as well. So how does that information change a treatment plan for a horse? Say if you had the same exact horse that the owner opted to do the MRI and then it's twin that the owner opted not to, um, and twin, I mean, having the same exact issue, um, how would you approach your treatment plans differently for that, for those different horses? So if we have an MRI, you know, we can use the proximal suspensory ligament injury as an example. A lot of times, you know, we get quite good ultrasound images of that area and we can diagnose a soft tissue injury to that proximal suspensory ligament. And that is typically, you know, can be managed with a variety of therapies, um, shockwave, platelet-rich plasma, things like that. If we have the MRI, it it gives us, again, a good look at that ligament. We have that information about the soft tissue structures. But we also know what the bone is doing. You know, has that injury affected the cannon bone? And do we need to do, you know, does the horse need maybe a little bit more rest? Does the horse need some type of therapy to treat that bone pain or that bone bruise along with the ligament changes? And it just can give us a little bit of an idea of how long the rehab is going to be. It helps for people, you know, especially this time of year with show season kind of actively going on. People are very concerned about how long the horse is going to be out and the MRI can help us give people a good idea of, you know, what to expect that way. 
And Dr. Buholtz, we have a question from our live audience. Lauren is listening in Nashville, and she wants to know what indications would you use to determine whether a horse needs an MRI or not? So as far as figuring out if a horse needs an MRI, um, you know, typically, A, we need the horse to be lame, and then, um, you know, a lot of times we'll go ahead and block that lameness as preferable so that the horse is lame enough. We use carbocaine to kind of figure out the area for sure that's causing the lameness. You know, is it the foot? Is it the fetlock? That type of thing. So that we have a specific area to kind of pursue further. And once we know that, you know, we'll use the example of it blocks to the foot is a quite common thing that the vet will say. And then, you know, you can start diagnostics. You know, you definitely want to take some x-rays and see, you know, is there an obvious answer? Is there a problem that you can see on x-ray that could cause that lameness? And then after that, you know, depending on the location, sometimes you can ultrasound the area and see if there's a problem. Other times within the foot, you can't quite get as good of a look. And then at that point, you know, we kind of have the discussion. MRI would be the next option to go ahead and look at everything, you know, see if there's something else we're missing. Once we kind of have that area of concern and we've kind of struck out with our other diagnostics, you know, we didn't really see anything significant on x-ray or radiographs. And then, you know, perhaps the ultrasound looked quite good, but the horse's lameness, you know, we don't have anything to explain that or have the answer. So at that point, we'll kind of have the conversation about an MRI. Dr. Brown, we have a question from Hannah in Kentucky, and she says that she knows MRIs aren't cheap. If her horse does get an MRI to diagnose an injury, is there any scenario in which the horse would need follow-up MRIs? Uh, Yes, there are. Um, Depending on the type and the severity of the injury, uh, your veterinarian may recommend a follow-up MRI to assess the effectiveness of the treatment and the progress of the healing. Uh, In fact, Quite a few of the MRIs that are done in um, in hallmark standing systems are follow-ups to original diagnoses that were that were found in at other sites with down MRI, and they just didn't want to give another anaesthetic. Um, for example, MRI is one of the best ways to gauge how well a tendon injury is healing, um, not just from a structural perspective, but also to assess. Uh, when a return to work is advisable and to, to get some idea of how well that tendon is likely to be able to bear stress and weight. Um, I think it's also worth bearing in mind when you're thinking about this is that many of the, the therapies and treatments used to treat MRI-diagnosed lameness are also quite expensive, and it is best to be sure that the best possible treatment for that case is being given. The follow-up MRI can often provide valuable information to either either confirm that the treatment is is working or to allow an early assessment and perhaps a change in the treatment. So, yes, follow-up MRIs are certainly um, not uncommon. Dr. Buchholz, considering the cost of investing in an MRI, how do you help an owner weigh the the benefit of having the imaging done? Mm-hmm. And that's definitely a conversation we have quite often. Um, and as Dr. Brown mentioned, you know, a lot of the therapies are also quite expensive. So we do want to be sure, you know, what we're using and the money we're spending is kind of going to the right spot. But as far as, you know, whether or not to MRI your horse and what they're, you know, the benefit of having that done, in the end, I kind of have people, you know, 
your horse is going to need time off. And if we don't know, I, I don't know how much time off, you know, at that point, it's a minimum kind of four to six months. We're not really sure, you know, that that can be an entire show season right there. So, you know, it can be worth it just to have the answer and maybe the horse doesn't need any time off. You know, we could definitely be wrong that way. And I, I might be treating the wrong issue. You know, we might we might see a deep digital flexor tendon injury on an ultrasound, but perhaps it's an old issue and there's actually something else, you know, different going on deeper that I, I just can't find. So as far as that goes, you know, we'll get a lot of horses in that people have tried different things, they've given the horse time off, they've changed different shoeing, you know, they've gone back and tried different therapies, and all of that can get expensive. I mean, even just having the vet out sometimes can be a challenge with everything, and the horse has time off, and they miss a show season, and then they still don't have the answer, and that, I mean, that can be a year even, and, you know, at that point, you kind of just have to weigh the expense of that versus, you know, doing the MRI, having the answer, and being able to kind of go forward with that, kind of knowing what you're treating and being able to go after it that way, have a little bit more of a productive outcome. We have a question from our live audience. Um, Melanie in Atlanta wants to know, Dr. Buholtz, if MRIs are being used in pre-purchased exams, and if yes, what would the pros and cons be of using an MRI for pre-purchase? So the answer is yes, they are being used um, in pre-purchase exams. I have I've only done two that I can think of off the top of my head, so it's not the most common thing, but it is done. And the benefit there is, you know, you're you're getting a look at the soft tissue structures, and you're getting a look at the bone as far as you know hoof issues. A lot of times they're front feet MRIs. Um, people concerned about navicular problems. And as we've kind of learned over the years, you know, it's not just the navicular bone that we see on x-rays. There's a lot of soft tissue structures around that navicular bone that can be affected. So people get a good look at that area as far as to figure out, you know, does the horse have an issue they need to be aware of going forward or does everything look quite good? Um, and then as far as other pre-purchase things, some people will do the fetlocks just to get a good look and that's more of a kind of racehorse thing at times. But most of the ones I've done have been kind of a front foot question. Dr. Brown, can MRI be used as a preventative measure to identify problems that might not be evident um, yet on the surface of the horse? Is it something that high-performance horses maybe should have done on a regular basis, or would that be um, an overuse of, of the imaging? It's not common Yet, with, with one big exception that, or two couple of big exceptions that I'll mention later, it's not common for horses to have an MRI as part of just a routine wellness exam. Although I do think we might see this increase as owners who experienced MRI and had a, had a good diagnosis tend to have a lot of faith in, in, in MRI. Um, so I do think it'll increase. Um, one exciting newer area that we're seeing is the use of standing MRI to assess the risk of overtraining. So in that way, yes, it is sort of a, a, a preventative measure to identify problems that might not be evident on the surface yet. And I know that it's being used um, for at least one national team uh, for elite-level dressage horses. And a very big area of growth at the moment that we're looking at is to look for uh, bone damage in the fetlocks of racehorses, which we believe could help actually be able to identify and prevent the terrible on-track 
condylar fractures and breakdowns that we've all seen on the news and it's, it's heartbreaking and it's obviously a huge welfare issue. So we're, um, we're very much looking into that. Um, and I guess in a way, as Dr. Bullock just mentioned, the use in pre-purchase examinations is, is there to look for problems that might not be evident on the surface. And, um, we are seeing that starting to sort of take off the use of MRI in, in particular pre-purchase exams, perhaps where there's a question about an old injury or a common issue in that group of horses, such as navicular bone problems and quarter horses. So I think it's a, it's a great question, and I think it's a growth area. Dr. Buchholz, is are there any um, ailments or injuries that MRI is less effective at imaging? Um, You know... <laughs> It's pretty much the areas that with the standing MRI, we just, we can't quite get to yet. Um, you know, with the standing MRI, I can get good images of the knee and kind of anything below the knee and then of the hawk and anything below the hawk. And then, you know, after that, sometimes when we get up higher, it, it's more the issue of, you know, the horse is moving more. So it can be a little bit hard. You know, we can diagnose a bone issue, but there's a lot of kind of smaller soft tissues in both the hock and the knee that, you know, maybe we won't get quite as good of an image or something like that. But otherwise, you know, we have pretty good luck as far as being able to image things. The other issue we run into as far as effectiveness is just, you know, how the horse was blocked and did we block it properly? Are we looking in the right area or do we need to, you know, look elsewhere a little bit higher, a little bit lower to kind of find our answer? We have a follow-up question to an earlier question, and Dr. Brown, I'm going to give this one to you. Uh, Ivy in Birmingham wants to follow up on the differences between the low and the high field MRIs. She wants to know about the concerns about a horse moving more in in the standing MRI. Is it ever not possible to get images on a horse that, that's moving while it's standing? Uh, it certainly is a concern for us. We're obviously we're dealing with a conscious horse that's um, just lightly sedated, so movement is uh, is a something we have to uh, have to be aware of and battle against because it will uh, spoil the image. Um, very occasionally, there is a horse that you just can't get to behave well enough and stand in the magnet. Um, and uh, as as Dr. Bill said, particularly. Further up the leg, the, the closer to the body you go, um, the further from the floor you go. The swaying and movement can be more of an issue for us. Um, having said that, in the last two years or so, we've developed the motion correction software, which is built into the system to the point where we're able to image diagnostic quality images from almost all the horses that go into the uh, into the system. And Hallmark's policy has been that if, if one of our sites simply can't get diagnostic quality images from a horse because that horse just, because it's an individual and doesn't like being in the MRI room, is moving around so much, we, we will not charge for that MRI. So there may be other charges that the, uh, that the clinic has incurred, obviously time and drugs, etc. but we don't charge for the MRI if um, no usable images have been um, obtained. And it is a rare thing. Uh, Dr. Brown, 
we've heard a little bit about using the nerve blocks um, and ultrasound prior to doing an MRI. Are, are there any other kind of di- diagnostics or is there a diagnostic procedure that's recommended that's done prior to the MRI to localize uh, the area of interest? I think Dr. Buholtz really covered this very, very well earlier on. Um, the the key to setting up a case, if you like, um, for a successful MRI is that you need to know exactly where the source of the pain is. The MRI only really can image uh, an area as a volume about the size of a grapefruit. So if we're not looking at the right part, then we, we may miss it. And that could be quite as... as close together as we're imaging the foot, but it's in the past and we could potentially miss the issue. So um, a good clinical workup, including nerve blocks, is uh, is really vital. Um, and that's why MRI is not done as a first line. It's usually done after a, a good quality clinical um, lameness examination. And typically, as as Dr. Buholt mentioned, this, this may involve radiographs and or ultrasound imaging. Um, but really, we, we just need to know where where we need to aim the MRI at, if you like. Dr. Buholt, we have a question from our live audience. Jean in Indiana says that she has an aged mare who's lame on the, the right front foot. Ultrasound was used to diagnose a significant tear of the deep digital flexor tendon near the attachment to the coffin bone. She wants to know if MRI would be a better diagnostic tool for this type of injury, um, as well as to help monitor healing and progress while they're treating that horse. What recommendations do you have? Yeah, so MRI would be a great diagnostic as far as being able to monitor how that tendon is doing and how the surrounding structures are doing. A lot of times, you know, you can get a secondary issue in the coffin bone. You can have fluid in that bone, kind of a bone bruise type of thing, and that's just certain things you want to know. So it's it's great to give you an idea of what that injury is doing. You know, is it is it doing what we want it to do? Is it healing? Is she getting better? Or, you know, does she ha- perhaps have more changes or something down there that, that we don't know about? So MRI can be, you know, quite good for that as far as getting a good look. And if she hasn't had an MRI before, it would be good, you know, just to give her a nice look at, at everything around that deep digital flexor tendon. You know, how does that navicular look? How does the navicular bursa look? Is there anything else that can be done to maybe help that tendon along and kind of increase the healing versus, you know, knowing what we see on ultrasound, we can see it, but we're just unsure of, you know, how it's doing. Is it older, newer, and kind of how everything is changing that way. And Dr. Buchholz, on an MRI, how do veterinarians tell the difference between pathologies that are maybe just incidental findings and those that are clinically significant? So the clinical history helps us a lot as far as, you know, talking to the vet or for us, you know, knowing that horse's history and how the lameness kind of progressed, just certain things can can match up differently. And then with the MRI, there are different sequences that show anatomy and will kind of give us a look at everything. So we'll see, you know, older injuries, things that have been there for some time. And then there are other sequences that kind of specialize in showing us fluid. And in newer injuries, you know, you'll have fluid with that newer inflammation and everything like that. So it's the the variety of sequences that kind of help us to determine, you know, if I see it on one sequence, 
it can be an older injury and I'm, you know, might not be as excited about it. But I see, if I see it on multiple sequences, you know, then it, it tends to be a newer injury or an active injury. And that can kind of be the difference there. The other kind of nice thing is if we're concerned or if we have a question, you know, is that real or are we, you know, making that up? Is it just an incidental finding? If, say it was the right front, we can always use the left front to compare and MRI that one and see does it look the same or, you know, does it look completely different, in which case it is that injury in the right front. We have a question, Dr. Buholtz, that I'm interested in the answer to because I have a, a horse similar to, to this audience member. Annie in Finger Lakes, New York, wants to know the benefits of performing an MRI to determine the possible correction or maintenance game plan for a performance horse with high-low syndrome. Could you start out by explaining a little bit what Annie means by high-low syndrome and then, and then going into the, the MRI's involvement in that? Yeah, so the high-low syndrome typically is, you know, more the horse's kind of hoof pastern angle. Do they have a really high heel? Are they, you know, maybe club-footed type of thing? Or are they an upright horse? You know, every horse is different. They like to have their own feet, and sometimes even the left can be different from the right, so they'll have different changes that way. But, or do they have a really low heel? Are they really, you know, quite set down and kind of have heel issues that way? They can kind of vary in conformation either way or one on one foot and one on the other. As far as the MRI helping with that, um, the nice thing is you get an idea of are there any secondary injuries or stresses on that? You know, sometimes that confirmation can stress the deep digital flexor tendon a little bit more. You're putting a little bit more pressure on it, being put, putting pressure on the navicular bone as well. So you can get different, you know, variety of secondary issues that way. The other nice thing um, is you can get a look at the bones and our, you know, one side of the coffin bone might be getting stressed more than the other. So you might see some bone fluid or if it's kind of an older issue the horse has been dealing with, some kind of sclerosis, so signs that the bone has been remodeling. And you might see that on one side more than the other. I actually recently had a case where this is what we used it for, and we were just having issues kind of maintaining this horse. He had, you know, kind of a more of a low heel issue, and we just weren't having any luck as far as chewing, all kinds of different therapies, nothing was quite working, so we finally decided to use the MRI and see, and we found out that the inside of his coffin bone was really quite stressed and had a lot of signs of change that we weren't seeing on radiographs versus the outside really wasn't. So with that information, you know, we were able to change his shoeing around a little bit, add different things that way, and that horse has been the soundest he's ever been. So it was quite nice that way. So is that something that you bring the farrier in also and and go over the images with and or do you create a, a shoeing plan for that horse with, with the farrier? What I typically do is talk to the farrier and kind of go over our findings. A lot of times the MRI images can be a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> There's so many and some of the stuff, you know, when we're looking at maybe fluid in the bone, they're just looking at a screen that has 
kind of a lot of white and black and maybe some gray, and it just can get a little bit confusing. So what we do is, you know, go ahead and call the farrier, bring the farrier in, kind of talk about the findings, and talk about what they think is going to be the best option. You know, they they know that horse, they know that horse's foot probably better than I do, and kind of what they think is going to be the best option going forward, and if they have any suggestions as far as to help out with angles or with the bone change. Dr. Brown, we have a question from uh, Fajal in Maryland, and Fajal wants to know what percentages of navicular syndrome come out to, to be by MRI, uh, in the MRI come out to be actually a tendon disease. Um, I, I don't know what the exact percentage would be on that, but um, it's an excellent question, and uh, what I can tell you is that as Dr. Buholtz mentioned earlier, MRI has advanced the understanding of lameness in the foot within the hoof capsule probably more than any other body part. And we do now understand that a huge proportion of, in inverted commas, navicular syndrome cases do involve injury to the surrounding soft tissues, such as the deep digital plexus tendon and the navicular bursa, as well as just the navicular bone itself. Uh, previously, when this was just a, a, a clinical and x-ray diagnosis and all you could really see was the navicular bone, that was what got treated. We now realize that before MRI, these, these other lesions often went undiagnosed and therefore untreated, leading to less than satisfactory outcomes for the horse and the owner. And I was talking to one veterinarian um, at a meeting a couple of years ago and he said, since MRI, I understand why I used to have such a hit and miss success rate with navicular cases, and it was because in many cases, I just wasn't treating the whole problem. And I think that one sort of quote really sums up the point of MRI, is that a lot of these lameness issues aren't one particular injury or one uh, one pathology that's causing all the problem. There are multiple pathologies, and as Dr. Buholtz talked about earlier, it, it can be quite uh, quite a tricky thing to tease out the significant from the insignificant. Um, and I think that's where the teamwork of the the first vet, the referring vet, the, the vet that does the MRI, and potentially a boarded radiologist as well, all working together with the imaging and the, and the clinical hands-on and eyes-on of the actual patient all goes together to form a, a team approach and, and tease out all these different um, injuries and, and work out a plan of treatment that should cover them all. But, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, Dr. Buholtz, we have a question from Heidi in Woodenville, Washington, and she wants to know when working with a laminitic horse, how and approximately when would it be best or is it best to use an MRI as a diagnostic tool for, for laminitis? So we don't routinely use the MRI um, for a horse that's kind of actively in a laminitic issue. You know, at that point, we kind of we kind of know what's going on. At times, we will um, to get a good idea. You know, maybe to give the owner a little bit of an idea of prognosis, or to kind of give us some insight into you know a clinical application. And it's used sometimes in kind of actively horses that are 
foundering at the time um, for research things, testing out different medications and such that way. The most common application for it is kind of to identify risk factors in horses and in that foot kind of before they start to show clinical signs and before they kind of become a laminitic horse, the MRI will give us a look at, you know, do they have hoof wall defects that maybe we don't appreciate on x-ray? Do they have vascular abnormalities or is the lamina in that foot changing and kind of becoming inflamed? The MRI would give us a look at that. And it would also show us, you know, the coffin bone and is that bone reacting to something? Is there fluid there? Is there change there that we can't explain with anything else? Can kind of give us a look at changes in the hoof wall and kind of, you know, clue us into the fact that maybe that horse is at risk for laminitis and we should start, you know, changing shoeing or doing different things that way versus a horse that maybe we find something else that explains what was going on and why that horse was front foot sore. So we'll typically use it for more of a kind of a risk factor type of thing versus a horse that actually has already been diagnosed with laminitic issues and has maybe is actively flaring or something like that. Dr. Brown, um, Ellen Catherine in New Jersey has a question about uh, the techs who run the MRI. She wants to know if they are vets as well and what kind of training they have. Our sites have a mixture of vets and, and vet techs operating the uh, MRI system. However, there is always a vet on site to give guidance and particularly to supervise the sedation um, and also to answer any questions sort of as the MRI is running, such as, okay, we've done these views, do we need to do any more? Do we need to repeat anything? Because that sometimes does happen. Uh, because Hallmark's system is specifically designed for veterinary practice, it's much easier for vet techs and, and vets to use than the repurposed human systems that are, are, are quite common in, uh, in, in the veterinary world as well. Um, and Hallmark does provide training to all our sites. When the operators have demonstrated a level of expertise, we certify them as an official operator and they are, they go on our register as, as people that have completed the necessary training. And then every year we hold training meetings in North America, in Europe, um, and other places for our sites to, to keep them, uh, refreshed and train them on new developments and techniques. So the, the training is, very comprehensive when the new system goes in, and then we continually update and uh, refresh all the operators. But yeah, the, the simple answer is it's a mixture of vet and vet techs operating our systems. Dr. Buchholz, we have a question from Judith in Michigan, and she wants to know if MRI provides um, accurate information for a horse that has arthritis in the foot, or will an X-ray give the same information? Can you compare the two? Yeah, that's a good question. So the x-ray is going to show us, you know, the the bones. So we're going to see the coffin bone, the pattern bone, what all is involved and kind of to what extent. Um, you know, we can see is there just a little bit, is there maybe a little bit of spurring, or has that bone actually proliferated and is it kind of, you know, really kind of a more moderate to severe amount of arthritis. So the x-ray will give us you know, clue us in as to is it there and how much is present. The MRI will, 
you know, we'll get that same information. We'll see the arthritis, but we'll also be able to see what that bone is doing. Is that bone actively remodeling? Is there fluid present? Or is it all quiet and, you know, perhaps the arthritis was secondary to something else and now that that bone process has slowed down. Um, the MRI will also kind of show us the joint and we can see the joint fluid. Is it normal or has that also kind of become inflamed and is that joint capsule aggravated as well? And the MRI will show us if there's any secondary issues maybe we won't be able to see on an x-ray that can be associated with that joint as far as, you know, is there subchondral bone damage secondary to the arthritis or not? Um, so that would be kind of the differences there. But you'll see the bone reaction and everything in both of them, but you'll just kind of get more information about what's actively going on maybe with the MRI, just depending on kind of what she needs to know and where they're at with that horse. Dr. Brown, we've been talking a lot about the standing MRI and lameness in the foot. Uh, Deb in New Jersey wants to know if it's possible to MRI a horse's back. Yeah, that would be very nice, wouldn't it, um, given the ability of MRI to distinguish between soft tissue and, and bone problems. Um, but sadly, the answer generally is no. Uh, some systems out there can image the very top of the neck and um, just just close to the base of the skull. Uh, but in general, for most of the spine, the MRI systems in existence currently are just not big enough to uh, to fit the spine in. Um, we have had a few full necks put in, but again, not even on a full could you could you image the whole spine. So, sadly, that one's a that one's a no. Doctor Buholtz, we have a question from April, and she wants to know, considering the bone bone density, how clear and more identifiable would something such as a bone a cyst or a bone infection be using MRI? So using MRI, a bone cyst is actually quite clear. It's kind of one of the one of the more clear things you'll see on the image, and that's due to the fluid kind of being present in that. So for those that don't know, with a bone cyst, the bone can kind of either have been eroded away or chipped away or not present due to other issues. So you kind of wind up with this basically a hole in the bone that gets filled with the fluid or the joint stuff present around it. So with the MRI, we see this nice clear outline of, you know, the dark bone as it's supposed to look, and then we'll see kind of a bright area of fluid. So the cyst can become quite clear, and we can kind of characterize what structures are involved and, you know, maybe or maybe not what could have kind of caused that issue. And similarly with a bone infection, you'll see kind of the change in the bone and the fact that it's active on certain sequences that can be quite clear. So it gives us a pretty good indication that that can be the issue and kind of that's what's going on and something to pursue. We have a question from Leslie in British Columbia, and she said that she has a 12-year-old barrel horse that has a pulled muscle in his sacral area. Um, this happened a couple years ago. He said She says that he tends to not want to turn at the first barrel, which is turning right. She said she noticed after work he will still sometimes drag his toes, especially on the right side. She said she's tried acupuncture, Cairo, she's changed saddles, had massages done. A Cairo pointed out that some old scar tissue in his sacral, sacral joint um, 
or that there's some scar tissue there and she was thinking about maybe having it injected um, to make it more comfortable. She wants to know if you would suggest getting an ultrasound or an MRI. So again, as as Dr. Brown mentioned, I would love to say that we could MRI that area, but we're just not quite there yet. And because that area is so big, there's, there's not an MRI present that can kind of get a good image of the sacroiliac joint, we just don't have, we don't have that option quite yet. So I would definitely suggest, you know, she get an ultrasound of that area and that will help her, you know, the, that vet can look at the soft tissue structures, but also the bones around the pelvis and the different muscle structures that way and see, you know, is there muscle atrophy secondary to this and kind of what that joint looks like on ultrasound and give her a little bit of an idea if that could be causing the issue or not and then kind of go from there as far as pursuing that sacroiliac joint injection or, you know, maybe there's something else going on with the pelvis that could be causing that horse to kind of drag on the right side more. So, Dr. Buchholz, I have a horse um, who had an MRI, and it helped uh, diagnose and treat his lameness. He had some inflammation in the navicular navicular bursa, and that was probably five years ago. Um, and he's been off and on sound after that initial run of being really sound. Um, is it okay to rely on that information from that original MRI, or is that something that he needs to have done again to figure out what's going on with him. So how long ago was that original MRI done? So I think it was about five years ago. Um, five years. Yeah. Okay. So. so I would recommend that the horse probably have a recheck MRI. A lot of times, you know, we can be going after the bursitis or the inflammation in the navicular bursa and, you know, try different treatments and, you know, maybe it works. We kind of go after, you know, how the horse clinically responds. Do we have a really good response or is it just kind of so-so? Is the horse sound for a long time or does that kind of wear off in two to three weeks after? And sometimes, you know, horses definitely do funny things and it very often is not the same injury and we'll find something kind of completely different versus, you know, if we had tried treating the bursa or doing, you know, different things like that, doing changes, we could be going after just a completely wrong diagnosis. So at that point, typically I say, you know, if you're starting to experience it again, have a clinical recheck, have somebody take a look at it, see, make sure it blocks to that area convincingly and you know where to look. But if you're kind of not having luck with what you were having luck with previously, then another MRI might be a really good option for your horse. Yeah, I've been holding tight to that, those MRI results from the last time. <laughs> yeah, and it, it happens a lot, and especially with navicular bursitis horses. We actually had one that it was done a couple of years ago, not quite five, that, you know, we they had tried all kinds of different things as far as, you know, stem cells and multiple different options, and Finally, she was like, I just have to know. I just want to know what it looks like. You know, maybe the therapies aren't working anymore. And we MRI'd it, and it turned out that wasn't the problem at all. <laughs> so once we figured out what the issue was and what therapy could fix it, you know, that horse has been doing quite well. Okay. Well, I will uh, keep that in my <laughs> mind for my guy. <laughs> right now, knock on wood, he's going sound right now. Um, Perfect. I like but it. But that could change at any moment. Um, Dr. Brown, how do you see MRI use? and technology changing in the near future? I mean, it just seems like we've had such a change in just even the last few years. What what does the future look like for us? Uh, that's a great question. And I certainly 
can foresee an increase in the applications for MRI as we learn more about how it can be used. Um, for example, things that are trickling down from human, human MRI research, uh, things such as functional MRI, the use of contrast agents, new scanning sequences, etc. There is a lot of research in this area, so stay tuned um, and be assured that we are looking into the applications in the veterinary world. Um, we're constantly improving our system and trying to uh, eliminate as much as possible the, the things such as movement um, causing causing problems with the imaging. And we're researching, as I mentioned before, uh, new applications such as identifying resources which are at risk for fracture. Um, the team at Hallmark are incredible. We have, I think, six MRI PhDs within the company and they create technological advances every year which benefit our, our customers and, and our patients. Um, and I think, uh, as a positive note that I think everyone will agree with, that um, as MRI becomes more and more accepted in the equine world and larger numbers of horses are benefiting from the technology, the cost probably will come down as it has done in human medicine. So um, I think there'll be more ways to use it, more applications, and Hopefully, it should become more accessible in terms of cost as well. Before we close for the evening, I want to ask each of you what you think the most important thing is that our audience should take away from our discussion tonight. And let's start with you, Dr. Buholtz. What do you want people to really understand about using MRI to diagnose lameness in horses? So for me, the biggest thing um, for people is, you know, I know that MRI can be expensive, but at the end of the day, it really can give us the answer that we're looking for and help us really provide, you know, not only the diagnosis of what's causing your horse to be lame, but we can figure out what treatments are going to work. You know, we know what treatments aren't. We can give you an idea of prognosis, and it just gives us so much more information versus, you know, maybe without it. I can give you my best educated guess, but I might be laying your horse off, and I, you know, don't really have a reason. So being able to kind of have that answer and have the correct diagnosis and give people you know, a good idea of how the rehab's going to go and how that horse is going to do and be able to give them that information with the MRI results is kind of my most important thing. Okay. And Dr. Brown, what about you? Uh, I was thinking exactly the same thing, actually. The biggest value in my mind is in cases of lameness where the cause isn't clear after the initial examination by your veterinarian. So um, puzzling cases of lameness. Um, in these cases, referring for an MRI can often give you a much more complete clinical picture, which, as we've, as we've both mentioned uh, previously, allows targeted treatment with the confidence that you know exactly what you're treating. The correct treatment given early often results in a much shorter total duration of the lameness, fewer complications, and importantly, often a reduction in the total vet bill, in fact. Um, this is why most insurance companies are so willing to pay for MRI. So if I could leave you with one thing, it would be that if your horse goes lame and the initial vet exam doesn't really provide a satisfactory answer and you, you and your vet are still scratching your head to a certain degree, then that's one way you might want to think, I'm going to ask the vet if this is a case for MRI. 
Well, I want to thank uh, both the doctors for joining us tonight. Thank you um, for your great answers. And also to everyone who listened live, uh, who sent in questions during registration, and who also sent in questions uh, while we were having this discussion. We also want to thank our sponsor, Hallmark Veterinary Imaging, for bringing this event to everyone for free this evening. Um, we hope you can join us next month, our audience, uh, when we talk about joint disease in horses. Thank you for listening tonight, and good night.